Here we go. Peace, my brother. How you doing? Good, good, man. Happy to be here, brother. Yes, sir. Me too. Me too. Me too. State your name. Uh, attorney David Kadzai. I am the uh, owner and founder of the law offices of David Kadzai, located in Hyde Park, Chicago, 1525 East 53rd Street, Suite 832. Come see me. Awesome. Awesome. And you are a defense attorney, prosecutor? So, right. So the type of law that I practice is primarily uh, personal injury for plaintiffs. So that's that's civil law. And uh, to give you an idea of, of the type of cases that I do, I'll handle anything from a dog bite case, say the neighbor's, you know, dog is always unleashed and, and you know, I have a case like this now and maybe your, your young child or something like that, it, it, you know, gets bitten by, their, by your neighbor's dog. Anything from that to a car accident, your rear ended, T-boned, uh, to nursing home neglect, I've handled several uh, nursing home neglect cases, whether they be bed sores, falls, or um, wrongful death, and uh, medical malpractice, something like a miss, that would be like a misdiagnosis, for example, or if you went in for a procedure and the procedure was, was botched, and we call those, that's, it's, again, it's all civil as opposed to, uh, as opposed to criminal, uh, and it's, it's on the plaintiff side, so I fight for the, I fight, I represent individuals is the way that I explain it to people. I don't represent corporations or businesses. I represent uh, individuals and families. Okay, okay. Uh, take take me back. Where did you Where did you grow up? I'm from Chicago. Uh, I'm a Chicago native, man. I grew up on the uh, on the south side of Chicago, the far uh, south side of Chicago, and um, not too far from where uh, Chicago State is today. And um, that's that's where I was. Uh, that's where I grew up. Uh, during uh, many of my formative years. Okay. Okay. What what high school did you go to? You know, I ended up. So so what happened? Um, unfortunately, my mom passed uh, when I was when I was younger, 13, 14. So I ended up. Uh, it was a transition. I ended up moving with family out in um, out in uh, Southern California for a while, and came back um, college time and uh, ended up. Ended up uh, attending college in Illinois, but uh, so it was. It, there were a lot of. I'll say that, and I'm the youngest of, of uh, of eight, right? So I'm, you know, I have a lot of older brothers and sisters. Uh, so, but there was a, there was a huge transition during that time period. My mother passed from cancer, um, and it was it was us, my mom, and mainly my my mother's side of the family. So. Um, that that was just a huge a huge transition for uh, for all of us and especially for me going into going into high school and and um, and all those things. So I didn't I didn't necessarily get the um, get the straight Chicago um, experience Chicago experience from from a high school standpoint. Um, you know I went to uh, went to high I went to a private school uh, Gordon Tech for a while. Um, b b right before I moved, uh, relocated to California, but um, I didn't get the, you know, I had my oldest brother went to, went to Whitney Young. I had some, you know, siblings, obviously, they, they were in Chicago that whole time, but it was really a transitional period for me. Um, and I know how big and important it is in, in Chicago with the high school. So, um, yeah. but um, Tell me about the experience uh, for you in California. What was that like? 
Man, I, I hated it because I, I really, hated it. Yeah, I hated it, man. It was um, it was, it was L.A., Los Angeles, and it was so different, man. I, I was, I was um, I was taken away from a lot of my friends that I made here. Just just growing up, being a, being a kid uh, in Chicago and growing up on the South Side, you know, we made you know I had friends. I had a friend set, um, and um, maybe part and and honestly, part of the reason why why um you know the family decided as a collective for me to kind of get away from chicago and see something different uh might be might might have been you know probably was for, for a greater good in that you know you got to get out of of the south side of chicago and see some other things uh because and many of my friends who you know i'm still friends with them now um you know they didn't and, and the trajectory i think that you know, uh, and I know I'm supposed to be talking about how much I hate LA, but you know, I'm thinking it's kind of the questions bringing back bringing back a lot of memories. But that's fine. That's fine. I'll speak on it. In Chicago, it's I just feel like sometimes your opportunities can just feel limited. I don't know if they I don't know if they truly are, but they certainly, as a young black, you know, African American male, um, you feel limited. I remember. And then I'll go back to go back to how I thought about California. But I remember thinking like, what I would do with my life is is either I, I would go to the military um, because I knew that would get you away and that was something that was stable, um, or I don't I don't know I don't know what else I would do. But I always thought like I gotta you know at some point you know after high school I'm gonna leave and go to go to the military do something like that. Um, but to, to speak on my experience in California, it was. I, I didn't like it at first. It's just different, right? Because you and then you enter into um, high school and a network. Um, attended uh, St. Bernard's Catholic High School uh, in, in Los Angeles, right outside of Los Angeles, and you enter into networks where people already had their had their network. So it was difficult. You know, you have to break it. You you know, you find your friends and breaking into these new networks can be um, can be a tall experience, man. So. Um, but, and, and I think that was a, and then it's just, it's not home. You know, I never felt like it was, it was home. Like the West coast music was different. Um, the, the, you know, I was more of a, a Chicago East coast type of, type of, type of, you know, God love Wu-Tang. So it was a, it was a starting over then and trying to, trying to reconfigure that out, that element of having friends. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, you know, obviously I, when I kept in contact with, with people, in Chicago, and my family, like most of my family is in Chicago, but it certainly was, man. It was, um, you know, I met some great people, and I'm, I'm still in contact with, with many of them now, um, but it, it was like a, kind of like a reset, but when I think about it, and I look back on things, I think that maybe that's what they wanted, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Maybe, that's, maybe that was, um, maybe that was something that my family really, um, really thought would be good for me just to have a reset and see other things because you know um you know you have you have family members you have cousins and, and you know people in chicago and it's not always again being young black male in chicago is not always that always leads you to um the next you know it's, it's a lot of uh, a lot of booby traps out there i would say a, lot, a, whole, a whole lot hell of a and we know that uh yeah from the journey for, for you and myself coming through Chicago, it's very easy to, to step on a landmine, you know? Uh, we can speak metaphorically, but 
there are a lot of traps and booby traps out there that that can you know gaffle us up and, and, and take take control of our lives and, and we'll be lost forever um so tell me about the experience you went from south you went from california back to chicago i came i came back for um for college um and i ended up i ended up attending uh the university of illinois at urbana champaign uh, okay i went there um in 2000 uh and that was you know and, and then again you know going you know coming from the places that where i where i had been were, were cities and i remember going on a visit and when i stayed kind of overnight um and i i just I, I was i was like wow this is different because if you've ever for anyone that's ever been to that campus uh it is in the middle of a cornfield and i don't and i'm not you know i don't see that in a in a derogatory way that's just where it is and that part of the state is so different than than um than this part of, than chicago right then you know north of uh, north of i-80 interstate i-80 and 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 it's it's very apparent and being you know 18 year old and like okay now you're in college this is what you need to do and um you know I'm, i was blessed and lucky to get there and get that opportunity but i think that's that's a culture shock as well man i mean you know that's just that was a wow because then you then you meet people it's like a bunch of different people right yeah the diversity and i think it was a it's a it's a it's a sh like shock you know what i mean it's, it's a whole shock thing to it because i know my first year or the the one year of college that i tried to do it was a it was a total shock to the system to see uh different varieties ethnicities of people trying to uh, surround themselves with the same type of uh, people that they needed to help them succeed. You know, just being around different different people with different mindsets and goals, but a being able to share some of the same things to kind of help you guys get along. You know, uh, it was like a melting pot to a certain degree. Uh, I was in the South in Memphis, so to a, to a certain degree, it was maybe 20, 30 students that might have been black and the rest were white, and we were all trying to get along and and, and and move forward as not just classmates, but uh, uh, roommates and things like that. It was very, very different, you know, especially when you're coming from a young man coming from the uh, south side of Chicago. And, and I'll say, unfortunately, many, many of us uh, in that cohort, um, and that there are many of us that are just doing great things right now, right, and who, who, uh, who survived, but I would just say many, too many, in my opinion, in that cohort, just it was difficult to, to get out. It's like you got in, but it's like a maze to figure out a way to to maneuver to to get yourself uh, to get yourself out of there. And yeah. That and there were there were resources. There were people that were there were people on the campus and people in the town who really really wanted you to succeed, but. You know the, the you have the the academic rigor, you have the social part, you have um, you have all of that. You know I had a at that time I you know my girlfriend was was I had a serious girlfriend who who was from L.A. and lived in L.A. and she went to college in L.A. and that that complicated things. And I was thinking well maybe I'll transfer to a college out there and that's you know what I mean. So it was a lot. Um, it was just a, a it's a lot for a young man. Uh, from Chicago, and, and it's almost like you're expected to figure things out yourself. 
And, you know, looking back, I don't think that's, that's, you know, how I should have approached it and how, you know, me and myself and, and others in, in the cohort uh, should have approached it. But I think that's the way that many of us approached it from, you know, being from Chicago, having egos and being macho and saying, hey, I'm in college now, I have this freedom. You know, a lot of mistakes can get made, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there was so many people who came who were there. You know how they say, you know, look to your left, look to your right. These people won't be here. That's some, that's, that's true, and I think it's, it's really true when you think about um, African-American males uh, in, in those settings, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but how, I mean, how welcoming are, are those settings sometimes? There were very few people who were uh, welcoming to me when I was there. Um, it mostly came from the black community or the, or the people that were, that were black that were there. And it was from the guys who were older who knew what I was gonna go through, right? So they were big, not just big, but they were instrumental and key and making sure that I, I stayed grounded and making sure that I had someone to talk to, which is uh, very significant. The only thing was is that it was just so different for me. And then having to deal with uh, home as well, always being, not always being, but being on the phone and talking with family and knowing the things that were going on there and, and the things that were going on with friends, you're hearing about people being locked up and uh, death running rampant through the through, through through your childhood friends and the neighborhood. It was just it was just different to focus for me. You know, it was it wasn't it wasn't so it was very hard for me to continue to just focus on school and just try to do that. You know, I, I felt like everything that I knew and loved was just falling apart while I was away. You know, I felt and I felt I felt similarly, uh, but I also feel like me being the youngest. Uh, was really a benefit because I got to see some of the successes and the failures of my uh, siblings. Many, you know, that that came before me, and it was a it was sort of a a cloud of, of protection. Um, I think around me and and you know just just covering me that that um, you know because there were there were dark days and and again being from Chicago and I. You know, I wasn't as far away as you were, which, you know, my, you know, so it's like being, I, I think just, just the culture shock of it, being on a college campus, then being in a, being in a state, I was in a part of a state that I had not been before, but yourself, it sounds like you were in a state that maybe you had driven through, maybe you've been there, but had you spent, you know, on someplace in a different state where you're spending a significant amount of time now, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, yeah. as a young man from Chicago, it just, you know, it's almost like the odds are against us. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone broke it down to me while I was there. They said, we're a quota. They don't necessarily care that it, it's us, but we're just a quota of black students that they're just trying to fulfill. So whether you pass, succeed or not, they don't really, they don't really give a care because whether you do or not, they're just going to put another group of people to fill that, uh, to fill that quota. And he said, regardless of the quota, what you must do is succeed. If you don't succeed here, you must succeed somewhere else. He said, that was always the biggest thing. You, you know, don't worry about, don't worry about the numbers. I only told you that because if you just feel like a number, then you, you have the right, the right thought, thought process for it. But, he said, you have to succeed. That's the whole reason why you were here. So 
and I and I you're right. And I just want to I want to touch on the point that you mentioned where you said it was there were older, you know, there were upperclassmen who who took an interest in you. Yes. Thing. I think that was that was the, my exact same experience, and I think you know now, and you know just reflecting back on it as as an adult, I wish I would have taken more direction from upperclassmen. I wish I would have thanked them more and been more appreciative mm. because they didn't have to do that. And that really made a difference in my life at the time. And I didn't even know it. And because I'm, I'm so, you know, being, you know, young, sometimes you're so self-absorbed that I didn't even recognize the, the, the help and the, the wisdom that was being imparted to me. There was a place um, called the Black House on campus. And that's where you went if you needed, you know, there were, there were study places where you could study. There were, you know, people, people who were black who were welcoming. The people that ran the Black House, the upperclassmen and the faculty were very welcoming. And, um, you know, were, were like, hey, we wanna help you be successful here. And, and just people who knew what you were going through. And I don't think that um, I really, you know, I, I, I should I should have been thanking them more and should have spent a lot more time there instead of trying to go out, you know, do it on my own, make bump my head, keep bumping my head. But I think from what you I think a lot of us kind of took that took that route. Like, you know, we can we can we're going to listen, but we got to you know, we know how to do this. We got this. Yeah. You know, I know so what I want to do. I know what I want right. to do, you know. Right. I know what I want to do, and, and really, you don't. You you think you know, but you don't know how it takes the process it takes to get there to those things, you know. So, it, it, and having that chip on on the shoulder too, as we do as young men or young women, we have these chips on our shoulder, and we think we can do it, uh, everything. And oftentimes, those become uh, uh, traps for us, our own selves, by thinking that we know everything when we don't. You know, it's just a, a false perception of our own of our own life, life skills, you know? Right. So what made you get into law? And, um, so, so I switched majors like probably like three or four times in undergrad and I ended up, I ended up taking a, um, ended up taking a sociology class and, you know, that's, that's where you learn sociology is a study of, you know, human behaviors, right? So you, you learn about human behaviors. You learn about different events that happen, um, that happen throughout, uh, you know, history and, and you know from a from a sociological perspective. And I had a professor, um, and she wasn't uh, she wasn't African American, um, but uh, I just that class, you know, I was I was just convinced that that was the best class that I took. It was like Social 100, right? Introductory sociology class, and I really a light bulb really came on in my head and it was like, wow, and I was so interested. And I was like, well, you know what? I care about people. I think I want to want to follow this road and be a teacher, but teachers, you know, me being, you know, me being you know, the type of person I wanted to, you know, financially, I said, well, but how am I going to support myself? You know, our teachers are underappreciated, underpaid. What should I do? So I ended up, and, and again, this all came from, from people, uh, who were in my life, uh, mentors and, and, and people that took an interest in me. Um, I, you know, I, I talked about it and, you know, someone suggested law school and I started to look into it and, um, you know, 
some way I, I found, my, I think I talked to enough people and, and got enough recommendations and, you know, took the LSAT a bunch of times and, and, um, and ended up, uh, ended up being accepted uh, to, to start law school and uh, which was a crazy experience. But um, so I, so I would say the, the way, the, what made, I, I never wanted to be a lawyer. I wasn't the kid um, when I was, when I was seven years old, eight years old, you know, throughout, throughout uh, up until about 14, 15, I, I like really cared about was sports. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's like odd for, for a kid from Chicago, and you, you know, sports and, and music and things like that. So I never thought about being a lawyer. Um, I'm the first uh, attorney in my family. Uh, so I didn't have, um, I didn't have a blueprint uh, you know, well, I had a blueprint, but I didn't have I didn't have a, a mother or a father, or or an uncle or anything like that who were um, attorneys. Uh, so, um, you know, I I just kind of, I kind of fell into it because I said, well, I like people, I like I like the sociology, I like the people. Um, you know, I want to talk, I want to be in somewhat of a social profession. So, how about law school? And it was just one of those things that worked out for me and a mentor of mine. Um, helped me make that happen, and um, and that's uh, that's kind of, kind of I always say I kind of fell backwards into it. Okay, okay. Um, you spoke. The biggest thing is I wanted to help people. I cared I cared about the community and I cared about people, and I think that that's to this day that's why I do what I do. But that's I think that's what it was. You spoke on sports. Did you play any during grammar school or high school or college? So funny, funny story, man. I, it's um, so I played played baseball and football a lot, right? And I remember wanting to play organized baseball at Gately. You're probably familiar with Gately, you know, yes, across from Corliss. And I, you know, it was, you know, I was practicing and, you know, a couple of my boys, we would go up there and then my mother find, found out, right? And she would not, you know, it was, it was time we were supposed to sign up, get the uniforms and everything. She was like, you're not going. Mm. And I didn't understand. She's like, you're not going. It's dangerous. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's you know, this is the 90s, mid, late 90s, where it started to get, you know what I mean? It's, um, you know, that, that time period where, you know, it's things going on, it's gangs. Yeah. I was involved, and we were too young at that point to truly be involved in them. But, you know, you knew people. And uh, I, 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 that was like one of, I couldn't, I hated my mother, man, because she, um, she would not let, me, not let me join the team. I was playing first base, long arms, so I could play first base. And, um, I feel like I let the coach down. I feel like I let the other people on the team down. Um, so that was that was one experience. Another experience in high school, I played football, I played wide receiver and defensive end. And for a lot of, and that was a, just a great outlet. Um, for a lot of that, for a lot of that time, man, in my mind, that's why I would go to school. You know what I mean? Because it was like I'm like, okay, I get to, you know, you get to play a sport. You get to have. You know, you get to be with the guys and just have that that camaraderie, and um, you know, I really um, I really enjoyed that. And if I could do it over, I would I would focus. I would obviously I would I would focus more on my academics and sports, and probably you know, sports and academics. I would really I would really focus on both of those things um, because I, I I mean, just the lessons that you learn on the field, the lessons that you learn, the relationships that you build uh, playing sports for me. In my perspective, it's just um, that's a form of social media, right? You get to learn how to be around people and interact, and 
you learn competition and how to have a drive and, and right, yeah. stay motivated, the ups and downs. There's a psychology that goes along with it. And I hate lo I hated losing, and I really yeah. hate I don't lose. You know what I mean? I just I hated losing, and we lost sometimes, you know, a lot sometimes, and, and I just I hated losing. And I remember that feeling like I just, if there was something I could do to not lose, but I, and I guess that, that goes to what you're saying, like being, you know, having that competitive spirit. Yeah. And, and you know, you don't want to lose. You want to be able to, you know, walk around with, you know, especially as a young kid, 16 years old, you want to yeah. win, you want to, you know what I mean? Walk you around. feeling yourself, yeah. Right. Exactly. Feeling, being able to do something and, and you exactly. contributed to, to, to something, yeah. Exactly, Definitely. exactly. Definitely. So I, I really, Man, that was um, those are some of the greatest times, the simplest times, just just doing that, going to practice, you know, and playing, you know, playing sports. I just that was that was just amazing. Going into the weight room and uh, with football, other football players, and looking at the weight racks and saying, "Oh, the basketball team must have been in here." You know what I mean? We were joking yeah. because football, obviously, football players, you lift differently and you may lift a little bit more. Heavy. Yeah, you but, lift heavy. Um, yeah, you lift heavy. So it's um. Man, I would, that was uh, if I could do it all over again, I would I would focus uh, much more on that. I don't know if it would be football because that's such a violent sport, but um, you know. So yeah, yep. So, so give me up to the bar exam. Tell, tell me what what's that experience like? Man, look. So I so so my first semester of law school, I uh, I came home with family, um, my sisters brother-in-law, things like that, right? Came home for, um, for Thanksgiving. And, um, and I know I shouldn't, you know, that was like 2005, 2006. We could still stay Thanksgiving. I know that's, that's you know, that's controversial. Um, and it's always been controversial, right? But it was, so it's that holiday during, around that time in November. And um, I came home and said, I'm not going back. Mm. I said, I'm not, I'm not going back. Because I was so, it was so hard, man. I just... I had never been, I've been challenged, you know, intellectually a lot, but you're down there, you're, you're everyone's super competitive, type A, everyone there is, um, was a, just, just, you know, a, a brainiac, right? Because you, you hear my story, we're talking about Gately, we're talking about sports, and there were a couple yeah. of brothers like that there too, but then you get the brothers who weren't that way, then you, you get the other kids, you know, who were, you know, they were prepping to go to law school since they were five, right? Not, and, and I'm, I'm overstating it, but, you know, the type of things that we think about, the type of freedoms that we had, um, good or bad, you know, you, you're competing against and you're around people who don't have, who didn't have that, right? So, um, and the same, the same thing you mentioned about it not being a huge amount of diversity um, was, you know, law school was, was even less than, than, than an undergraduate setting. So I, I said, I'm not going back. I said, I'm not going back. And, and my sister, who, was, who I was closest with, who was closest in age to me, said, well, where are you going to stay? <clears throat> right? She said, I, I said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm not going back. She said, well, what are you going to do? She said, you're going back. You know, because you're not staying, you're not coming up here to be with us. You're not, you're going back. And I, me I remember emailing a professor like this is all over that holiday break period right before you go back for finals um in, in uh thanksgiving um during that period of november and i was like you know this was so hard this was this this was that and he was like you know just just take it one day at a time put one foot in front of the other is real competitive a brother um who was teaching there at the time he's no longer there 
but um uh just and he and he emailed me back like like five seconds after I sent the email, right? I don't know if he thought it was gonna be a, it was a suicide note or something. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't gonna commit suicide, I wasn't that down on myself, but I was like, this this shit is different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, like hold on. Like it's it's like, and I consider myself at that point I fought, 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 but came, you know, forced myself to be a studious person, the effort I would put into sports, the discipline I learned through sports and working out and training and, and everything. I, I applied that to my studies. So by that time I thought I was fairly disciplined. I would I would kind of sit in the front of the lecture hall, man, and, and take copious notes and just, you know, eight pages of notes every day, right? On one class. And um, I wasn't getting it, and it was it was evident I wasn't getting it. So I didn't want to go back, man. But my family, everyone in my family, like I said, I'm the youngest. They were, you know, they were like, no, no. Salute to them, man. Salute to them. Yes, yes. They Salute were like, to them because you know that push is what propelled you or, or held you down. And say, all right, if I can't go home, I got to make the best of this, and I got to do better. And I want to say this because of because of what we just you know recently um, have experienced surrounding the Breonna Taylor situation and how I, you know I'm seeing memes I'm seeing things on social media I'm hearing people talk about how you know black lives black women black women's lives don't matter and it was mainly you know I was nurtured you know mainly by black women and talk they they the ones that pushed me. And they held me and, and and were there and said, "Hey, you know, no, you 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 know what I mean." Talk, and yeah. sometimes I think it's it's a false narrative where they say, you know, they coddle us and 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 they do this. I don't I don't know how true that is because even with my mom, it's like it was like, go. No, there <laughs> were no. I was raised I was raised in a house with four or five women, and there was none of that. There was none of that. It was you're gonna do chores, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. What is it you want to do with your life? Um, you can't sit around. You can't do this. You ain't going to be doing this. You ain't going to be doing that. There were things that were imparted to me as a young man. Some of them might have been a little bit, uh, the tactics might have been a little rougher at others than, than some that you would have just needed to be a little bit smoother. But I was, I was raised around women. I was raised with women. And there weren't, there weren't no punks in the house. I, I'll say it like that. There weren't no punks in the house. You know what I mean? You had to, you had to be able to defend yourself. You had to be able to wash, cook, clean, do all that type of stuff, you know? So um, the narrative that you're talking about where they're saying black women lives don't matter. That's a, I don't, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's coming from fear. I feel like that's a situation where people are feeling, the women may be feeling a fear of, do we really matter to you all? You know, how come you guys aren't taking care of us? And, and, and these situations are being perpetuated by what we see in the media. What we see in the media. I know you yourself. You're a great man. You're, you're a father. Um, you're, you're a friend. You know what I mean. You're a husband. You're a brother. You know what I mean. So um, there are men who do take care of the of, of the women in their lives. <clears throat> excuse me. And those around them. I just think that that narrative or or saying those type of statements, man. I, I think it's coming from a place of anxiety and, and, and people being scared and fearful for their lives. But at the same time, we're fearful for our lives too. I'm not scared of no police officer. Yeah. I know once he starts reaching for his gun, the situation is going to change, but I'm not necessarily scared of a police officer. It's just the fact that 
they feel the need to use that to put themselves in, in a more authoritative position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, my, my so, and, and I just want to say black women's lives do matter. Absolutely, absolutely, 100,000 percent. 100,000 percent, and I think, but, but, I think it's. I think it is the macho part of it, where where you get the police officer, um, and uh, you know, and uh, what what should be a citizen that's looked at as a suspect before they're looked at as a citizen, right? right. You know what I mean. So I think I think you get that, and, and, and you can't tell me that that's not um, systemic racism or just blatant racism because it's, it keeps happening to us and people that look like you and I. So so you get these situations that are just supercharged where you might just be driving around in a nice car with your top down and, and, and you know playing some music not even that loud and you stop and then the police check plates and it's a mistake but the way that they approach you might be so over the top or disrespectful because because of a stereotype then the way that you respond then once you respond they have to respond because these are men too so it's like well and i'm the police so i should be able to you know i, I i'm the authority figure right in this right. situation so i should be able to respond like this where and then all of a sudden you have you know kenosha where he's, he's shooting the guy he's kicking in his back and it's just it becomes it's just it's just and, and, and this happens 900 to a thousand times every year yeah. yeah this happens 900 to a thousand times every year so you can't tell me that um man it's a topic I, it'll get me heated i'm sure it might it may get you heated but it's one of those situations where you can't one of those situations where you can't tell me it's just an accident it an accident doesn't continue to happen a thousand times a year 900 times a year it's not an accident at that point that means it's being done on purpose. I, I think, and I think you're right. I think that I think that some of them are doing it on purpose. I think some have mental health issues. I think it's a combination of lack of training. Correct. Uh, it's just no training because you know people are people are putting these life and death situations, and some and what they perceive to be a life and death situation anyway, and and the training isn't there. And and it's, it's just not there. And and I think yeah. about and to me when. I say I hate to cut you off, but when you're putting men who aren't in these type of situations to deal with uh, people from communities that are aggressive, right? You're taking a man who probably lived on a farm or some rural area or some suburban area or out of the way of black folks, never been around black people ever. Only thing he knows the black people that he worked with or the black people that he's seen on TV or in the music, never really been around black people, never really been around uh the projects, the ghetto, the hood, right? He's never really been around there. So his automatic assumption is if a person yells at me or gets hot or, or yep, raises their voice, they are being hostile. But he has no understanding that the people that come from these environments are naturally talking to each other like that every day. That's how they talk to one another. And the body, That's how they deal with one another. And the way their arms move and the way their heads move and the way they shift their neck is different. Yeah. Right, so all those things need to be explored. And I think in a city like Chicago, where you have a third, you know, so many black people in Chicago, um, that, that there's, there has to be, be that training. But, but to but yeah, so, so to, to go back to the, um, the law school story, man, so obviously I, I went back, right? <laughs> so I went back and, um, you know, 
I didn't do as well as I would have liked to have done, but I, I kind of knew it was coming. Um, but you know, it was it was that push from family, and um, it was just that push from family. I, I don't know if they believed in me, or they was just like, "You gonna make it through." And uh, but but that's what happened, and I, I stuck with it, and I ended up continuing to stick with it. Um, but and this is all my journey to the bar, right? So then. You know, it's again, life is going on, you know, while while you're while you're in school, while you're not in school, whatever, life is going on. So, you know, I have people who, you know, I'm you know, you have friends and, and then, you know, after the first year, things start to loosen up a little bit, you get used to the routine of, of, of law school and and you know, getting a legal education and you end up, you know, saying, Okay, what can I do now? What can, socially, what can I do? We're hanging out, hanging out with different people. And I remember this was, you know, I got through my second year, third year, I was smooth sailing, right? That's the last year, really nothing to do. Um, nothing really matters. You're like, I made it through the lights at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, it's, you start to be a little more lax. And, and, I, and I, honestly, everyone, if, if they're honest with you is, and, you know, you're hanging out with your friends that you knew from, from you know, from either, either law school or undergrad. Um, and we, I go out. And I was, uh, you know, you meet people, you meet a girl. And, you know, that was a situation where you meet a girl and it's a guy who claims that they were already with the girl. And it, it, it really, it, it, you know, that whole situation just ratcheted up. So long story short, I end up in a situation where um, here I am in my last stint, my last stretch of law school and um, some legal problems come up. You know, because mm. there's a there's a issue with with myself and, and another another guy um, and the girls involved and and uh, it ended up it ended up going away. But that was a huge scare. That was like my first semester of my my last uh, my last year in law school. And uh, I, I think about it as the last hurdle because that could have really derailed you, uh, derailed me because um, had had charges you know, stuck or something. And this happens to people, right? If they're honest, then, you know, think about a frat party in college where you get kids who, you know, are just partying and something happens, right? Yeah. Um, it can happen. And I know, and I can, I can, we can sit here for another hour, um, two hours and talk about, you yeah, know, this got time. Time. So, but you know what I mean? But this happened to such and such over such, over something yeah. and you're in college. And it just seems like even when you're trying to do the right thing, even when you're moving in the right direction, um, things like that pop up. Um, other people that aren't moving in the same direction, whatever you're doing, and it's 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 almost like, well, I wanna I wanna kind of derail this person. I don't know if we, you know, we call it call it hating, yeah. but and that, and that may have been what it was because it was over. I mean, and I won't I won't say more now, but it, it really, man, it was a legal situation, and I had to pay lawyers, and it got hairy, and um, luckily. Uh, I was able to pass character and fitness, but so that so that third year, you know, you complete your third year, you graduate, and by that time, man, that town had worn me down so much. I had had just I was like, I just want to get out of here. I need to go, whether it's whether it's Chicago, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's someplace. I just want to go someplace larger because I'm like, okay, clearly, um, it's a culture shock. I'm, I'm in a smaller place, which is a great place, which is you know. Again, I, I, and I don't want—I don't want to say anything bad because I'm so grateful 
and thankful about the opportunity that I have. And I'm a lot more grateful and thankful today than I was when, you, when you're kind of going through it. Um, and I want to, I want to make that clear. How yeah, you were just, you were just past I, that point. You I know was just, I mean? past yeah. that, you know, and I'm like, okay, here I am. And now you graduate and you have to study for the bar. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's such a, that's such an overwhelming experience. Um, you, you're doing nothing but studying for the bar. You don't really get to celebrate that you graduated and achieved this whole, this, you know, you got your law degree, but you have to study for the bar. And, um, I did that. And uh, it was that's a three month process, and it's it's just grueling. Like every day, you know, it's like you you work in a job like a nine to nine to nine to five or nine to seven, and you take. Do you ne necessarily know how many questions or the material that's going to be on there? I mean, I, I was lucky enough to. Um, they have a different. They have a bunch of different classes that you can take. I took a class uh, called Barbary, and you know saved up money and we pay for a class it's super expensive man law school the classes everything that you need is just is just extremely expensive and um but i it was it was well worth it it was a good investment it gives you an idea but without that class i don't know that i would have passed the passed the illinois bar right so um so it was it's just it was a crazy it was just a crazy time man where you're eating i'm eating you know rice and whatever because i'm trying to you know expense wise yeah i'm saying because i'm like okay i don't know what's going to happen with this bar what's going to happen with a job you know things like that i was coming out of a time where the job market was just sketchy you know that was right it f funny you just you just um maybe remember this but president obama was elected and took office during that time right because that's what 2008 yeah right so yeah. i remember I remember coming from my apartment, getting on the bus to get go to campus and go go you know start the day at. I was in law school. And I said, "Man, he won." I said, "Damn, now they're gonna expect a lot more from me." You know, <laughs> I was thinking, right? I was like, "Now they gonna," you know what I mean? That, that's oh how my I, goodness! I was like, "Man, he won," and I was so happy for him. I was just happy. I was a broke um, law student. I would have been, or I would have been in Chicago and uh, been celebrating. Um, that part of the state, um, I don't know if he carried that part of the state. He may have carried a, a, a good portion of it, um, but that's that's you know, downstate Illinois can be can be can go the other. What can be more more red than blue? Yeah. But um, I remember I was like, damn. Now now they're gonna expect a lot more from me, and I certainly can't measure up to um, a variety. You know what I'm mean? like? Wait wait a minute, like. Yeah. Is that, yeah, is, that the measure, is that the measure of now? Yeah, no, right? that's different. That's a different yeah, level right there. It's a different level. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, okay, you went and you had to go win the presidency while I was still, you know, whatever. And um, it was almost like it was a backlash because, you know, it was a lot of people who who were unhappy with that as well. But, yeah. but he went on and he won a second term. And that was inspirational uh, to a degree. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I just remember thinking like, damn, like, like now, now I have to, uh, I have to raise my game. Yeah, you got to step it up. Um, I got to step it up quite a bit. Um, Cause I was, I was just kind of trying to coast at that point. But, but, uh, but anyway, it was, it was, it was rough. It was a lot of studying. If you, uh, if you ever meet people who were, you know, in the town who I'm still connected with now, um, you know, I'd have to go eat at other people's, you know, place for dinner, you know, but, you know, just, just from a, 
you know, having, you know, going there to get something, he having the time to do that and just, you know, being economical about the situation. Um, Another question about the bar. Is there a different one for each state? So yeah, there's, so there's a different, um, so there's a different bar for each state. Um, and then what happens is, so if you pass a bar from one state after you practice in that state for so long, you can, it's something that they have called reciprocity where you can then practice um, in another, in another state and not have to take the bar. Um, but I know people who were, who were studying for bars for different states like New York, you know, which is, or California, which, which are, you know, have the reputation for being more difficult. I think Illinois is a difficult one as well. Um, but, you know, and, and I will say, I mentioned the, uh, the Barbary course and those courses that prepare you. I think a lot of, a lot of students, you know, I was blessed and fortunate, but a lot of, you know, some, some students didn't necessarily at different schools, I, I recognize didn't have the, the, the uh, ability to pay for those courses. So that can set you back. Cause I don't know that, I don't know that I would have, um, I would have, uh, I would have passed had I not, had I not had, uh, if I, if I just studied myself or did it on the web or something and, and, and had, you know, but, you know, uh, we had in-person, you know, instruction and things like that. So Okay. You know, it wasn't in person. It was it was videotaped. It wasn't all in person. I think some of it was in person, if I'm remembering correctly. But you can do it where it's all kind of a program over the web, and it, it's a third, you know, sixty percent cheaper than that one was. But you know, and may, and depending on the student, I suppose that could work too. But I think that there's something to the fact that I think that class was like at that time was like seven thousand dollars, you know, um, wow. something like that. Once you got done paying for it, so. Um, yeah, How many times did you have to take the bar? Man, I, I was lucky. I, I was I studied. Uh, Barack Obama was in office. I studied like crazy. I sat next to someone that was really smart, and I ended up passing my first time. And it was, I got lucky, man. But I really, I did nothing that summer, but but prep, but do that. You know what I mean? It was like it was like when I'm thinking about um, the Last Dance when uh, when when Jordan came back and Jordan said, "I, you know, they they would they lose to the Magic." something like that. Um, but he didn't, he didn't take any breaks. He just went that summer and just practiced and just, just, just kept practicing. Right. So it, it was kind of one of those things, like, a, like, you know, my little Jordan moment of just like, I, I'm going to stay and just focus on this and this is all I'm going to be focused on. Um, and I'm going to, you know, hit this goal and that's, and ended up, I ended up, um, ended up passing, but you know, part of it, is because I was in a in a more uh, rural place where it wasn't a lot to do over the summer um, in Central Illinois. If I was in a city, it'd be it'd be more things to lure me out and, and more distractions. Uh, and I took the class and just the combination of when I came out in two thousand and nine. During that time, the economy was really bad, so all of us, you know, were really really focusing. Like, wait a minute, you know, in order to get an opportunity. And get a job. Get your first job is always the big thing. So um, that yeah, but I was fortunate enough to pass on the first time, and and most of us did. So luckily, I mean, I think you know. So did you want to start your firm immediately? No, I mean, I, um, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to. You know, it's so once you, once you get to law school, you start to drink the Kool Aid a little bit, and and, and maybe I, I shouldn't say drink the Kool Aid, but you you say okay, these you know. You you hear about some of these some of these bigger places that are recruiting and paying, 
you know, bringing, bringing people in at these crazy uh, starting salaries. And that's, it's, it's, you know, with, with the student loan debt that you may have with everything else um, that can become very, very uh, attractive. Yeah. And I thought about doing that. And then I, you know, I spoke with uh, a mentor of mine and, and, and he said, well, you probably don't want to do that. That's not something, you know, that it, it's glamorous, but it may not be a good fit for you. And I didn't have as many, you know, coming out at that time, you know, I didn't have as many options to do that anyway. So, um, but no, I did not. I always, I was always entrepreneurial and wanted to have something of my own. But, um, but I knew that I needed, I, I was, <laughs> I think I was scared enough to say, well, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, you go to law school and you're there for three years and you don't really, you don't get as much practical experience. You don't know, maybe you know what a courthouse is in, in your town, but you don't, you don't necessarily know what a courthouse is and what to do. Um, that's their teach, you know, at least where I was, they would teach you a lot of theoretical stuff and, and actually the nuts and bolts of it uh, was not, was not clear. You know, I didn't know it at all, you know, so I just had this education and this degree and, and, and learning through hypotheticals and stuff like that. But uh, no, I wasn't ready to, to create my own practice, but I know people that did who are successful and my, my, I tip my hat to them um, because I didn't do that. At two, so two years after working, I started my, um, I started my own practice, okay. uh, which was a general practice when I started. Okay. So. Um, what, what, what was it like when you won your first case? So what's that feeling like for you? How did that feel? Um, man, I remember it's, it's funny. I, um, so as you know, because we're, uh, you know, social media friends, I was, uh, you know, I, I'm cycling, you know, cause we're, we're in a pandemic and everything. So I ride my bike a lot. I cycle. Um, that's something that I've, I've gotten into. And just the other, the other week while I was out there with the, with the friend of mine, we were getting ready to, you know, hit the bike trail. Um, a guy, a guy, his uh, two guys come running past, right? You know, and they have running gear on and everything. Um, two white guys, and uh, one of them was uh, was an attorney who I was up against probably six years ago. Oh right? wow! That was that case, and I've I've seen him since then, right? And we we you know and we have a good relationship now. He had before I had a kid, before I was married, before he was married, before he had a kid. You know, we just in that in that time period over the you know a little while ago, we 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 kind of checked in, seeing him on the, the bike path, the running path, and that was the that was the first case. It was a it was a car accident case. It was a um, a rear ender case where uh, my client uh, was was hit. It was clearly the other the other car's fault, and she suffered a herniated disc. Right, and uh, without going into too much detail. Um, that was the first case where it resolved, um, and I, I felt like, and it resolved, it resolved for for a substantial um, sum. And you know, up until that point, I had some, I had wins, right? I had some wins, and and I'm not saying we measure ourselves by, you know, as personal injury attorney, I don't know, I don't say we measure ourselves by how much money we're getting for someone, but um, sometimes that's reflective of the type of lawyering you do. And the type of um, you know, because because insurance companies 
are necessarily gonna gonna you know pay you unless they know you can prove the case and put it on and put it together. So that was that was like six years ago, and that was a, you asked me the first time I felt like I won. That was one of the first times I felt like I won. I had a lot of t- a lot of uh, a lot of help from uh, from other lawyers, and I asked a lot of questions, and I worked hard, and because I didn't know everything, right? And I'm a young lawyer. I'm still a young lawyer, and I don't know everything, but I would outwork the other side, right? Going back to you know, kind of sports and, and being competitive and that type of mentality. I just, I think I outworked him, right? I know I outworked him because it, there were times going through the case where, and he, he worked uh, for, he's an attorney with State Farm, right? Um, insurance. And I know, I know I outworked him because I knew things. He had a bunch of cases. I had a bunch of stuff, but it, that was something that I took pride in. And that, that case was a case I took pride in. I know I outworked him and we ended up getting a good result in the end. And uh, since that time, and I thought he hated me, man. I, it was like we had such an antagonistic uh, relationship, and it was like I mean, he, and I don't know if that's a strategy, some some he was using to kind of get me off off my game. But it was such an antagonistic relationship. Um, but this that was that, that was probably over six years ago, and that was the first time I felt like I won. And since that time, um, he's recommended me. Um, to the uh, American Arbitration Association, and and okay. I, I do I'm arbitrator as well, and uh, you know explain, it, explain what that is because I don't know explain. Sorry, yeah, so he's so so since that time, since you know six seven years ago, working against this attorney, he's you know I'm I'm a uh, I'm an arbitrator, so I hear cases as well as you know in a panel of three, so there'll be three attorneys. And there'll be a case and we'll, we'll hear the case and maybe a car accident case, right? Somebody gets rear-ended some a T-bone and they're presenting it to us and we decide what, what we, you know, which side we go with and what the damages are, right? What type of money we award them. And um, he's, you know, he's used me several times and recommended me to be used by his, um, by his firm several times. And I don't know if that's a good thing, I don't know, you know, that the other side, recommends you for something, but um, it's one of those situations where if it's, if it's kind of a tough case, um, sometimes, you know, that they, 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 that's almost a sign of respect. Um, and I don't want to, you know, hopefully I'm explaining this, but it's so arbitration is one, two, three lawyers who act as arbitrators or judges, then, you know, two lawyers presenting their clients cases, their, their client sides of the case. And we, you know, once they're done with that, you know, they leave the room, then we talk amongst each other and talk about what was proven, how much money someone should get, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and he's, you know, one of the first few cases that I did, he recommended me for that. And this was an attorney who I was against on the other side, who I thought hated me, who I didn't like very much, um, and who I just saw a few weekends ago on a, uh, on a, on a, on a bike trail. So, okay. But that was the first time I felt like I, I really, really won, you know. Do you think that feeling or false perception of hate just came from the case itself because you guys were battling back and forth? Right, I don't, it's just, right, was it partly my race, right? I mean, one, <laughs> think about it, right? I mean, and I, th- I thought about that, right? One, attorneys are competitive, right? So he's, he's competitive, too. And I tell you, we were talking, he was training, you know, I saw him a few weekends ago. He was like, yeah, I'm running seven marathons this year. So that's what he did to deal with the stress of all of this, right? Yes. Um, and, and I saw he's got some grays in his hair now too. Um, but, and I, I cycle, you know, and, and, and go to the gym and stuff like that to deal with the stress of it. So, but he was an athlete, you know, 
in high school as well. So he was, he was a sports guy. He's actually an L.A. Dodgers fan, so he's from that part of the country. But um, so I think, one, it was, it was we're competitive because we we're, we're like the same age. He's the same age as us, right? So I tend to think that, you know, they're less, you know, that way, hopefully, than, than some of the older generations. I could be very wrong uh, or I could be right. I don't know. Um, so I think it was a level of competitiveness just because he's a competitive person. I think it was because I, it was just me. I had my own practice. It was me and a laptop. I was a laptop warrior and I just, you know, and I didn't, and I didn't have a name and I'm still building a name and a reputation and um, a combination of all those things. Um, is it because I was black too? Maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to think he's encountered other black attorneys before. Um, young black attorneys who have their own practice, who's trying to, you know, go against a big insurance company. Maybe not. I don't know. They exist. I'm one of them, you know, but um, so it, it could have been, I think it was a confluence and a combination of all of those things. I think race is always in the background. Um, he never said anything that was racial to me, you know, and he, and, you know, and he seemed like he was just, just, just a jerk in general to, to people, um, to other lawyers. So, but um, so no, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do you ever think that one day you would want to be like a judge or or for the Supreme Court or anything like that, or would you just stay into where you are? I like I like what I do. I think I think what I what I like what I really like about what I do is that I get to uh, I get to be in the community. I get to help people in the community. Gotcha. Um, uh, I think that you know I, I get to choose a side. I get to be an advocate and I don't have to be impartial. I think in my role as an arbitrator, you know, in your role, if, if you become a judge, you know, irrespective of what's going on now with, with um, Trump trying to appoint someone um, after um, RGB uh, untimely demise, you know, irrespective of that, I think you're supposed to be impartial as a judge. And I don't know that I could be that, that way. I like to take the side. I, I, I have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I like being an advocate. So for now, at least I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I don't know what the future holds, man. I might, I think, I think we need, um, I think we need a more diverse bench. I think we have one. I think we have some really great judges on the bench right now who, um, who are, who are doing some great work. Uh, and um, I really respect some of our, you know, many, many of the judges, uh, in, in Chicago, so but I, for now, I like doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning, man. I, I feel like I have so much to learn. I know you'll never, you'll never learn, learn it all. But um, I feel like, uh, I feel like I still have a lot more work to do in this area and just serving people. I like, I like helping people. So. Sports? Are you? Uh, do you pay attention to any of the sports that, that are going on right now, as far as NBA, football? So, I'm, so I'm more into football uh, right now. The NBA, the NBA. I'm not a Bears fan, so hey, right. So I'm still. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those dumb people. Who, I'm from Chicago, so I'm like, you got to be a Chicago Bears fan. So I'm a Bears fan, man, and I, you know, my. So my thoughts are. You know, I'm, I'm flirting with, you know, I've always kind of resisted the fantasy football, you know, urge because I'm like, well, 
you know, that's not really – so you're getting players from all these different teams and you're supposed to be – It's fun. Uh, it's, but it is. It's a lot more fun, right? It's, and if you're a Bears fan, it's like all you have left. So I'm I'm slowly I'm slowly um I'm slowly kind of you know again I you know my favorite sport is probably uh is probably I would say football and a close second is uh is the NBA. Okay. Um, this whole thing with the pandemic and everything being thrown off um, has you know it's different watching an NBA game now. It is. Um, it's very different, man. But I love I love what what um what uh what they're doing out in Los Angeles, you know, uh, if anyone had a question whether or not LA was, was whether the Lakers owned LA, I guess that's been answered for, for the time. Yeah, being. Answer now. yeah. Right. So, um, I like Denver, man. I really, I don't know how you feel about Denver, but I really, I think they have a good squad. Man. I, I thought, so my thinking was they would do well against the Clippers, but they wouldn't get, far you know I, I thought my my original thinking was that okay that series might go six or seven games because they know how to play more of a team team game and the Clippers were still trying to figure it out right so with them with the Clippers still trying to figure it out I was like okay well these kids might get these young brothers might get six or seven games out of this series lo and behold you know they take they take it over and they and they, and they run they running up they run them out the gym you know that was that was something I didn't expect. Right, and I don't think anybody expected that. But the, the clip. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but Denver has been playing these long series, though, right? I mean, yeah. so at what point does that take a toll on the team and on on the players? I, I think against a team like the Lakers is when it when it starts to you start to see it, right? Because LeBron has been doing this since he got to the league. Right. You know, and all he has ever needed was horses that could run with him or outrun him to help him, you know, to help keep him in the game and to help uh, hold him down the stretch of games until, you know, he had enough win to keep on uh, running with them. And he's in a situation now where they're about to do what he's uh, been doing for, what, right. nine, ten, right. five months or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, th I think you make a good point. You highlighting, and I think you're pinpointing the fact that if LeBron has some people that could run, some horses that could run with them, he's on. Un they're unstoppable. Yeah, and I'm not. I, I, I salute him and everything that he's done for so long because you, we don't see athletes do that. I mean, we have seen the KGs, we have seen the Kobe Bryant's. May he rest in peace. But at a very high level, we did. You know. Is not many people that can continue to do that. And I think that's all he ever needed was throughout the course of his career was to be, was to have guys with him that would go out and play and just be dogs. We've seen him go to the championship eight, nine, ten times, and each one of those times we, we can't necessarily say that he had the best team on the court. Like, if you're being honest, we, we, you can't necessarily say that, you know, in certain series that he definitely had the strongest group of people and the best body of work on the court with him. And that's not to knock anybody in particular, but when you see him win and he wins with a D Wade, right. And then he goes back to Cleveland and he wins with Kyrie and J I think J.R. Smith and, and those guys, you see the, the top, the type of talent that's there, you know, it, it's guys that, that, hey, you step back, 
just let me have this portion of it right here. And and when it's time for you to take it over, you can go ahead and do your thing. So now he's in – I think this might be the easiest run for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think – so, you know, which brings me to um, one of one of my life goals, right, is like – I was thinking about this as I was getting on the elevator, like, you know, coming back to the office um, – to, to uh so we can have this discussion, I was just like, man, if I could just watch sports, like if I can get to a place, you know, obviously seasons, you want seasons, you know, with the bull, you from Chicago, you want seasons, you know, we we have to obviously you and I, man, we have to go to a game. Uh, but, you know, and I wish, you know, the Bulls were better, you know, but um I mean if, if I have my if I have my way and what I what do I think is success is being able to being able to go to these games, go to go to the Bears games, go to the Bulls games, uh, NBA games, um, like that's those those are like my goals, my life goals. Um, yeah, we can okay. make that happen, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's make let's make, make it happen. happen. We need to make it happen, man. Cause that, make that, hey, bro. That ain't that ain't no talk. That ain't no capping, as they say. That ain't no cap. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm not. Like, post on my page, and I don't really be posting all my business and telling what I'm doing, but. I'd be at the I'd be at the Bulls games easily, easily. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I'd be uh, and it'd be the good games too. I'll be down there in that first section or uh, salute to my cousin Kev. He'll have the skybox and we'll all sit in the skybox. We'd be twenty deep with his people and our people, and we just be in there chilling, man. We can do that. Yeah, that's nothing. And, and like for me, like on a Tuesday night, you know what I mean. Obviously, the weekend is a, a great too. Um, but on a Tuesday night, man, nothing like to, to break up my, my week. I yeah. mean, I, I just I love going to going to a, a sports event, and um, I mean, because it really like when I think about I think about you know what I do and, and helping people, and and being you know one of the things that's important is being able to uh, take my mind off of problems and and, and trying to anticipate problems and, and solve problems, and, and I. When I'm at a sporting event, when I'm at a Bears game, when I'm at a Bulls game, when I'm at, you know, I want to go go to you know Madison Square Garden see somebody see, see them play there. I mean, just just across the country, I just feel like that is that is such a uh, that's such a, a way for me to just you know take my mind someplace else and be escape you know, for a little bit. Escape, yeah, man, and that's just a great way to escape, and it can get expensive, you know, but. But um, but yeah, man, that's that's like one of my goals is to uh, is to do much more of that, you know. And I have a question about going back to the Brianna Taylor. All right, yeah. so this is I don't necessarily know how this all goes on, but I'm gonna ask you, and maybe you may be able to enlighten me and others who may be listening. In a case like that, when you're suing the police or whatever it may be, if money is thrown into this case. Does that kind of like null and void the whole situation because a district attorney or whoever it is is basically saying, if you take this, we do what we want? So, right. I mean, I, I think I've, I've seen I've seen some um, some concerns because the, I think the case there was a settlement for for twelve twelve million dollars, and so we see a settlement. Then it seems like immediately thereafter. We see these these kind of these you know I I want to I, I do do we even call them charges, um, yeah. but what they what they are and it's, it's it's what's the relationship 
between that settlement and and charges. And typically, um, you know, it's there's not supposed to be a relationship, right? Because we can't like you and I can call the police and say, look, someone did this, someone destroyed our property, someone um, you know, hit me, and then they arrest them. Then the states in Chicago, the Cook County state's attorney is gonna prosecute, right? And that's criminal, right? And whatever happens in that situation, that's what happens. And then, but you you could sue them civilly too, because if they because they can do a criminal act and you know also destroy some of your property. So you could sue them and say, look, you destroyed my property too. So you can sue them in, a, in what's called a civil lawsuit as well. Right. And those and those are different systems. Um, well, I think so. So the attorney general was appointed to do the investigation in the Breonna Taylor case, and, I, and you know I, I'm I'm kind of of the mind like I want them to release release what they presented to the grand jury because mm. it seems to me like the charges are are suspicious. You know, like they're not. You know, but but to answer your question, do I think that the settlement has something? To, I think that potentially, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's not. I will say that when you settle a case, that that has nothing to do with the criminal liability, the civil side and criminal side. They're parallel. They don't and they don't they don't they don't intersect, right? They just they're two different tracks. Um, but I feel like a lot of people feel like because you know, but or, or if I if I were to flip it and say, okay, they didn't accept any money. They just said we're gonna go all the way, go to trial with this. How would that have impacted what charges, criminal charges were brought? I don't know. I don't know. But it is it is a suspicious it's just the timing of it, man. Yeah, but and if but I feel like in every case that's ever happened, or the cases that I've I, I've seen that go that way, anytime a settlement has ever been brought up and the NDA comes into play, the charges against these officers are usually dropped once they take that money, whether it's seven million, ten million, or twelve million. Right. It goes away, and if it, I feel like the people who take the money, you never hear from them again. Not to say that they're being chopped up and their bodies are being thrown into the garbage can, but they just fall off the face of the earth because you know you can't talk about it no more. You took the money now, move on. You know, and and, and, and I, I can at least speak to that. So what happens is that there's a confidentiality agreement that goes along with it. They're gonna say, well, we're gonna pay you this money, but we want you to be silent about X, Y, and Z. Correct. Right. That, that's that. That's something that could come into play. Uh, that 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 probably does come into play in a lot of instances. Um, I'm thinking about thinking about Laquan McDonald. What about now? He there was a settlement in that case of five million, and was it is Jason Van Dyke? He he's in prison, isn't he? So no, right. So I mean, let's let's. And I I don't want to I don't want to miss misspeak because I you know I have responsibility not to you know, not to, not to do that and mis, miseducate or spread, spread miseducation. Yeah. But yeah. so the officer in that case went to, uh, went to prison or was convicted of a felony, right? I'm, I'm trying to look it up. He was sentenced to 81 months in prison for fatally shoot for the fatal shooting. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people want that to be 81 years, right? I mean, so it was a, it was a, it was a heinous, um, uh, you know, killing. Uh, but he, so he went to jail. Um, and I think one months for a murder, though. I mean, come on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I know that that's the next question, right? Does the punishment fit the crime? Right? Is the question. Um, 
And, and, and I think the larger issue here is, is there, is there a hate crime component to all of this? Because I feel like it is. If it's, I know you do, and a lot of people do. Um, because if there's a hate crime component to this, how would you then charge an officer who you could prove um, did this with that type of motivation, right? Yeah. And, what should, and what should be the sentencing for that, right? And I think we need to look into that. Um, we need to look into that because it just so happens that when there's a no-knock warrant, when there's a, a, a traffic stop, when there's some sort of police interaction with, with African-Americans, Black people, we end up, some, someone ends up dead, someone ends up murdered. I'm thinking Trayvon Martin. There's these interactions with, with Black people. Is, is what it, is, it just keeps occurring. So it's undeniable, like, that th there's, there's a bias there. Is it racially motivated? I think, I think to a large extent it is. And we need to be honest with ourselves and address that in the law and, and make it so if you do something like that, you know, um, the punishment does fit the crime. Yeah, because I know if right now, and I'm not saying this to disrespect nobody at all, but I know if I get into an altercation with someone who may be of a certain sexual um, preference, and I become too aggressive, they will consider that a hate crime. Right, yeah, right, yeah, so you, right, exactly, I see what you're saying. Right, you they right. So if me and a person got into it, and it didn't matter if it was, it was based on, if me and that person didn't like each other, and it escalated, and I became aggressive, and it became battery and assault, no one would look at that as just going, hey, they had an altercation, it went further than it should have, and that's the way they got down. They wouldn't look at it that way. They would go, hey, he did that because that person, because of that person's sexual preference. And they would consider it a hate crime. I committed a hate crime against someone else. Right. No, and I follow you, and I think that's a shame. I think, but I, I think that the, these police officers, when they, when they arrest black and brown people, when they're arresting black men, and, and it's, there is that, and black women, you know, are involved. There is that element of racism and systemic racism and stereotypes and all these things that that flood into people's minds. And I think, how do you? I think one, you have to have laws that address it, and two, you have to have training. You have to have, you know, these are they're making split second decisions and they're in emergency situations, but you still have to have some level of uh, training, if you will, to to address it. Yeah. Um, yeah, empathy, empathy for people, you know. Chicago is a rough city. New York, Chicago, I mean, some of these places, you know, it, you know, can be can be rough. And but that doesn't mean that every person that you encounter in Inglewood and Chicago is a is a suspect and not a citizen. I was kind of I was kind of wild as as a as a kid up until. Um, I think right around, uh, the, I started doing a youth program, maybe before then, like, even after that, like maybe about 2007, I was, you know, like, I was rough around the edges, but I was slowly coming down off of it, but that doesn't necessarily make me a bad person, just because of my upbringing, it just means that I respond to people differently, that doesn't mean that I'm going to naturally just hurt somebody and do something bad, 
and so, so I don't know where I saw this, but someone posted something. It was a, a white a white male said, you know, when we were when we were in high school, when we were younger, when we were in college, and we were driving around without licenses, and we had drugs in the car, and we were doing things that were clearly illegal. When we got arrested, if we got arrested, we would be taken back home. Our parents would be called. There was a much different standard applied, but and you know, and I'm just gonna use Inglewood as a as a you know that Roseland. They'll say Rose or other black communities, um, the West Side. One, the police are over. It's over policed. One, and then two, when someone's caught with something, no matter who they are, there's an assumption of criminality, and they're looked at as a suspect rather than citizen. It's not like okay, this is one one thing that they did do we really want to destroy this person's life and, and tag them with the record and do all these other things you know um and when it's when it's a black kid that's they, they want to throw the book at them and i think but when it's when it's not when it's when it's a white kid there's not the same level of outrage there's not the same response and i think that's what that's what people are upset about and that's why people are protesting that's why people are saying it's, black it's, not, it's totally not because i know for a fact um i've even heard the police officers say we're going to process you to the fullest extent of the law. Like I've heard that. Right. I've heard that. And I've talked to some of the young, the, the European, Irish, whatever you want to call them, um, whatever background they're from. When they get arrested, they told me the same thing. They say, man, they take us home. Yeah. They take us home or they leave us. They don't put us in a holding cell. They put us out front and, and wait for our parents to come and get us. And then we go home. Right, and then, then what do they do? They, they don't have a record. They end up going to go to college. They go to law school. You know what I mean? different. When it comes to us, they ruin, they ruin our records. By the time we're 14, 15, 16 years old, you might have a felony. You, you might have all these different charges on your record that keep you from getting a, a, a decent job, keep it, that keep you from uh, getting a vocation or a labor job that may help you be able to apply your skill set. These things are done, and I'm not gonna say I think, I know for a fact it's being done to keep people from, from being able to acquire jobs and, and, and being able to raise themselves up out of, out of the dirt and out of nothing. Because if you can't do it, what else are you gonna do? Yeah. If I can't get a job that's gonna pay me decent money, what else am I gonna do? I'm gonna rob, steal, kill, and destroy everything else around me, and where does that land me? It's gonna land me in jail, where two, point, where two, two million black men sit right now, in a jail cell because they couldn't, they, they the opportunities were just taken away from them. Right. So sad, now, even when you look at it and you say, now, now weed is popping up federally legal in certain states and then states uh, legally on on a state level as well, right? Where's some of the same brothers that got locked up for having a, a dime bag of weed and they did five to ten years and when they came and they couldn't get a job, so now they don't. They couldn't get a job then. They can't get a job now. And they should be allowed to study under these guys. They should be allowed to say, hey, since I ended up in here for this, I should be allowed to be trained for this. So I think, so I, I right, so I think it, it, and you, that, that brings up another point, man. I think that brings us to um, what I think of is uh, reparations. And I think what form can reparations take when you, when you have a situation where you have, um, you have communities that have been, you know, taken from and, and left out. And what's what's happening in those communities now is it's it's a cycle. How do you how do you start to repair 
those those communities? How do you what do you, what debt do you owe to those communities? Because I think there's something owed um, to those communities. And like you said, if somebody is, has been arrested, they did five years for, for weed, should they be able to come out in an apprentice program and and, and figure you know what I mean and, and have opportunities? And I and I think and that's the big part of it, man, is that I'm you know me being me having my own law practice and um, uh, working, working, you know, for myself and having a little bit of control. The people I work with, the other attorneys in the office are, are, are African-American. The, the support staff are African-American, right? And I don't say that because, and I'm not just hiring people because they're African-American, I'm hiring people because they do a good job, they're conscientious, they know what they're doing, and they're professional, right? So, because um, we're, we're, you know, but if we don't, if we, we don't have the ability and, and you know to start us to start businesses to, to employ people you can't get employed someplace else things like that the opportunity if there are no opportunities there like you said people are gonna rob kill steal and destroy and um, and that's we see that's, it every we see it everywhere every community that you go to where you walk and drive around you see abandoned buildings what do you think what you think happened if you go to Baltimore, you've been to Baltimore, you ever seen it it's it's crazy when you see all that and you see how many jobs have been taken away from these communities. These people started doing drugs. They started drinking heavy, and, and they and they chose doing illegal activity. You know, to to gang legal to gang legal tender tender. You know, and, and it just destroys communities all all over. Because as you know, if we didn't have computers, we didn't have Zoom, we didn't have these polo shirts that we're wearing right now, and have roofs over our head. Um, who knows what we would be doing? I don't know. I'm not saying that you would be doing anything wrong or you would be breaking the law. I would be breaking the law, but the probability. I would, hate to, I would hate to, we would hate to see it. I know that. The probability of that. So people, you know, everyone's not as fortunate as we are. And there has to be a, a way to, you know, expand the opportunity and give options and, and the, the justice system. We can't have two justice systems, one for white people, one for black people. Um, one for men, one for women. We have to have um, a justice system that you know we we need to we need to be looking further ahead. What are we doing to this? Very you know, it's you know um, I don't I don't support or agree with the looting, um, but the protesting and the looting are two different things. But I understand that people are looting and they're taking those risks and they're doing those things. How you know how? desperate do you have to be it's, it's not a you you just want to you know you're taking something but i mean you're climbing through windows to take things and you know the looting the looting is happening in chicago over the summer i mean you know so it, and it's all kind of different ways to look at that so yeah but on the subject you brought up you brought up reparation uh how would you divvy it up would you just make it uh, a situation where you would just divvy up the money to each and every family of uh black Black Americans or African Americans or Indigenous people, or would you put funding toward different things, toward education? There would be a money pot for education, a money pot for uh, entrepreneurship, and then you know things like that. How would you do it? I think right. If you know, I'm not an expert. I think that you have to do all the things that you talked about. I think there has to be um, something involved in education because we all know that education. We're gaining skills. We're getting skills that we need to be competitive in a global economy. Entrepreneurship. We need access to capital because without capital, you can have the greatest idea, 
it's somebody sitting around in Inglewood now with, a, with an amazing idea, but if you don't get capital, if you can't get funded, that idea, you know, just, just it never comes, comes to fruition. So you have to have, you have to, you know, invest in entrepreneurship. Um, they have to have, and the education allows them, I think would allow you to be prepared to, to take those next steps, whether it be entrepreneurship or something else. Um, and I think there should be, you know, we have to address the wealth gap in the, in the, between white Americans and black Americans. We have to address the wealth gap because, you know, the level of wealth that we have, we, we don't have the wealth. Uh, we've been denied access to, to build wealth and gain wealth, uh, whether it be through home ownership, whether it be through, you know, having enough to invest in, in, in different things. Uh, we just, we just, there's a huge disparity in wealth amongst um you know african americans and, and and almost everyone else you know uh, especially white americans so um there has to be it, it, it's not it has to be a multi-layer plan mm -hmm. um, it has to be a multi-layer plan and it has to address education it has to address entrepreneurship um, it has to address the trades um and it has to address the uh the wealth gap absolutely i agree I agree. Um, I, think I, it, I think it has to be specific for um, African descendants of slavery, right? It has to be specific for African Americans because we can't have what you what you see is that you you have to have something specific for um, Black people that are that have been here that have been denied. It has to be something that's targeted. You right. know, if you came over here on an airplane, you know, you may get discriminated against. But have you suffered the same injustice as you know generations and generations and generations right. of African people? From the group of people right. who were brought over here and helped build the White House? Are you from the group of people that helped put the railroads together? Are you from the group of people who took care of other people's families and right. were beaten, raped, molested? and hung over and over again and your family saw it and watched and they tried to put you in fear because of that. Do you come from that group of people? Right. right. You know, do you come from the group of people who didn't know how to do anything else? So they created music that people are still using today. They just give it different names. Yeah. You know, are you from this group of people? Because if you aren't, then, you know, there, there should be no reciprocity for you. It should go no, to. No, it's got to. It's got to be targeted, man. Is that because? Because it's too much. It's too much of an imbalance. Not to say that you come here and you're not from those people. You could still be black, but it's a different. You you do. It is a different experience. Okay. Yeah, it's a very big difference. It, it would be a, a very big difference. Um, and it's something that would have to be um, sat down and architecturally drafted. You know, on a certain type of level. You know, and engineered to. To, to, to where everybody could understand it and, and, and money would be able to be pulled in and, and spread around to these things. And then also the support of HBCUs because I don't hear a lot of that. I don't hear a lot of people talking about HBCUs. I hear a lot of guys with, from the black community, African-American community, giving out money to universities, but it's, it's, it's hardly ever HBCUs. Maybe it's being done and I don't know, Right. I, I rarely ever hear people speak on HBCU. Well, no, and I, I think that's a good point because, uh, and I, I, I didn't attend an HBCU, but I recognize the importance that historically black colleges and universities uh, hold 
and the, and the positions, the roles that they play in uh, educating uh, African-Americans and, you know, in the past and today. So I, I think, you know, we do have to support and, um, and elevate, continue to elevate those institutions, man. And, and um, but, and there's a way, I think there's a way to do it where it can be self-funded and you invest things and it can be self, you know what I mean? This is a, you know, you put a man on the moon, this is rich, the, the wealthiest nation ever. You know what I mean? We could figure it out and, and it's wealthy because, because of, you know, free labor, right? So, you know what I'm saying? So- Slavery. It's right, so- Slavery, hey, we took yeah. a bunch of people, we put them on boats, we did everything in the world to them, and we made them work for free for 400 years. We didn't pay them anything. We did everything in the world to them that we wanted to do, right? right? And they made us billionaires. All these companies that have been billionaires for the last 400 years is based on slavery. Yeah, yeah. shadow slavery. So it's, so man, it's, and it's, it's hurtful. It's a hurtful history on both sides, but it, we have to we have to reckon with it and deal with it. And we have to um, find a way, um, like you said, to give opportunity because, and I'm, I'm big on the, just the, the entrepreneurial part because I think a community to a certain extent, it's always gonna be like big corporations, always gonna be, um, you know, big players, but there has to be some level of ownership in a community for that community to have pride in itself and to, you know, be a, be a solid uh, community. You have to be a stakeholder in that community. Yeah. You have to be multiple stakeholders in, in these communities. Um, and I think that's a large part of what's missing, you know, is not being able to control, control our own destiny, not being, not being able to em, employ ourselves or, or, you know, do different things. It's, and that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big part of it, you know, in my opinion. In law school, did they ever give you something called the Black's Law Dictionary? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you got that, you saw what the black what it said about black code. I, I you know, I, I remember, man. I wish I wish I would. <laughs> but well, if you tell me about it, yeah. When you when you get a chance, just just pick up your Black's Law Dictionary, and it'll, it'll tell you. So the Black Code was the second version of the slave was, was the second version of slave code. Black code is basically a bunch of uh, laws and, and guidelines put together by the, I guess what we would call the, um, the slave owners or the slave masters or all the wealthy white men who got together and said, these are going to be the things that we put together to make sure that black people don't have anything and they can never, ever gain anything. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right? And in 1865, it was called the Black Code. Before 1865, in the 1600s, it was called the Slave Code. And I, and, I, and I feel like, and we just talked about sports, we talked about these amazing athletes, but what about, but can we talk about ownership? You know what I mean? Stuff like that, right? That, I mean, would, that would come from it too, right? If you if you could get reparations through it, you could get, you could get ownership. You already have guys, to, you know, like LeBron and all these different people, Amari Stoudemire, who are already saying that we need ownership. Ice Cube, who has his own three-on-three league. I feel like more if you could get more guys to to take their minds off of being on someone else's chessboard or playing in somebody else's field and build their own field and do it that way, I feel like you could get more people to gravitate to it. We're the ones playing the goddamn game. We're the we're the we're the, the superhuman athletes, right? You know, there's very few is very few people who can do it. So if it's gonna be us, then why don't we have the ownership of it? If he can cr- create a three-on-three league. Why wouldn't he be able to do an eight on eight where these guys pitch in their money as an investment for Ice Cube or with some other rich people? 
And at some point in time, later on, they get their money back once it starts to take off, you know? Well, that's, again, that's access to capital, right? Banks, bang, bang. capital, entrepreneurship, and then, you know, do we have to recreate the wheel? Should there be more ownership in the NBA itself? We already have a fan base. We already have, but 70% of the players, 80% of the players are African-American anyway. Um, not, so, but this is the legacy of what you're talking about, like the black codes and the slave codes where they can never own anything. You're, you're, a, you're a, a, a piece on the chessboard but you're not, you know what I mean? Some people are controlling the board and they're putting you on that board and moving you yeah. in a certain way, I think is what, what you might be getting at. But um, I think that's how a lot of people feel. And that's the frustration at it too, is, is a lack of being able to control, you know, their, their lives, you know, so. Well, I, I feel at some point you have to understand that, you know, maybe where you are isn't where you should be. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you're being told to do certain things and maybe maybe that's not the destiny you want. Like you may have known that you wanted to be a lawyer. Some people may not know what it is they want to do. Maybe maybe there is a destiny or a higher calling for people than what they see every day in life, you know? I don't think everybody should be, have to grow up and, and deal with struggle, pain, and hurt all the time. You know, I don't think everybody should have to work at Docs, McDonald's, Sharks, or anything like that. I think they're being, I think they're being held back because they didn't know anything else. And that's the tough part, man, because you see, you see guys and you see girls who, who have so many talents, and, and I see it, and I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and like you said, they might be working at Sharks or Docs, but they have a certain air and, and, and talent about themselves, and, and, um, and, and, but they, the opportunity wasn't there. Right. It wasn't. The, the circumstances were, weren't there, and, and now... Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do we, how do I address that? I feel responsible. How do, how do I address that? How do I widen, you know, how do I fight for more opportunity? So if you want to work at Docs, you want to work at Sharks, to, to take your examples, that's what you said, um, that's fine with me if that's what you want to do. But if you want to do something different, or if you want to, you want to own Docs, or if you want to own Sharks, yeah. you want to do something like that, you should also be free to be able to, to be able to, you know, have those conversations as well. Right. I feel like, you know, having that, uh, being able to, the exposure or being able to have reparations where that person could say, hey, I want to be, I want to get there, that that ownership level. I don't want to be the person who works the fryer, the grill or whatever. I want to be able to own one. And that's essential. Like, whoever works the fryer, whoever works the grill, that's essential. I don't, I don't see, I don't have a problem with that. No, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. I'm just saying for those who, who think bigger than that. Right. And those who, and again, I think when we talk about reparations and we talk about, uh, you know, creating a roadmap, there has to be a target and there needs to be a target of ownership. Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be a target of ownership. There needs to be affirmative action, affirmative steps to, to reach that goal because you can't tell me that there aren't people that are thinking like that, right? You're thinking like that. Right. (laughs) So you're like, wait a minute, I want to be, I want to be in a, um, I want to be in an ownership position. I don't want to be in a rental position. I want to be in an ownership position. Well, I can, I can, I can move, move accordingly in that way, right? How do I get there? I, I feel like, and not, not you per se, but I feel like we've been held back and there've been so many roadblocks and, and booby traps along the way that we couldn't get there where we're supposed to be, but there should be, there should be something there, something set aside. So, you know, because of those roadblocks, because those roadblocks wouldn't be there if I wasn't black. Right. right? So, how do we, you know, get there? You yeah. Know, I, that's, that's, that's Even for, for me, reading about 
those times when they were creating these things, you would go back and you would read about certain people who would come over from uh, Switzerland or London or wherever they would come over from. They would come over and do the same work as the slaves and realize that, hey, I can't do this. This is hard labor. I can't do this. I can't sit out here in the sun and pick for 16 hours. You know what I'm saying? And my hands is all messed up, blistered and bleeding and everything. I can't do that. So they would develop contracts with the slave master. And they go, I'm not doing what these niggas is doing. And they would develop contracts and say, I'm going to do it for this amount of time or you can grant me some land. And when you grant me the land, I'll go build the land. I'll build on the land. And once I have enough, I'll give you back yours and I'll go somewhere else and do my own thing. You understand what I'm saying? So all that was being done, but we weren't allowed to do it at no point in time. At no point in time, right? Yeah, not true. You know, right, yeah. So that, and that, and that impacted our families and that impacted the wealth. Yeah. And, and, and then once we were released from, what, 1865 or whenever they, you know, finally did that, we weren't taught nothing. They gave us a Bible and told us, all right, get the fuck out of here, nigga. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right. So for the last 200, 300 years, we've still been just figuring it out for ourselves. And the more we figure it out, the more they 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 move the, the goalposts. Right. This is what a touchdown is. But I'm going to keep moving it. I'm going to keep moving it. You know what I mean? And it, it doesn't make any sense because here it is. People are trying to be productive, progressive on their own thing. And you keep you keep moving the goal, the goalposts. And you keep telling me I can't get to it. So I think. I, so I think there should be like a program that identifies, you know, people that want to be owners. Let's let's use your example of sharks, right? Or 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 docks. Yeah. And there's a way to do this. So you identify people that one have the desire and the aptitude to do that. You have a training program. You bring them in. You know, you you teach them what they need to know. They have mentors. They have resources. There's capital there, right, for them to start their first one. And it's such that they, you know, you have incentives where they have to pay this back after a certain amount of time, but they, but there's capital there. They will get the capital. Yeah. And there's certain, there's certain things you have to check to make sure that they're, that they get the capital. You just want to just, we just don't want to hand it out to no. anyone, but there's certain, there are ways to do this. And once they get that capital back, now they have their own situation. They're allowed to reball that same capital or more capital on different terms. And, and now they back two. into that fund. Now they have three. Now they have right, and now it's a program where they're bringing in. You see what I mean? So it's something yeah. that I mean. I think that's the way that American business, um, you know, can can impact uh, the racial divide. Uh, is is programs like that? It, and it could be docs. It could be law. It could be engineering. It could be something where we're putting because what you're saying is that we we weren't we weren't given anything. To, to, fend, to be able to, to fend for ourselves, there needs to be programs that create incentives and opportunities, and, and there has to be capital there for that, that you have to pay back and put in the pot for the next person coming that's coming in, along the line, right? Yeah. So I think that, that would make sense. Yeah. I think that's equitable, and it, it's conscious capitalism versus just you know capitalism. I think it's conscious capitalism, and, um, you know, and it, it, it lifts everyone. So yeah. that's that's but I don't know, man. That's just my thought. It may be as easy as said and done. No, no, I, I hear it. I, I I agree. I agree. So um have you done any mental work? I have, man. I, I think I've I've mentored, you know, even in college I will mentor and uh make myself available uh to to, to anyone, you know, who, who had interest in in school and, and law and I still do that. So okay. I try to make sure that I 
I um, I'm donating to the right causes and um, and uh, and all the above. Yeah. So um, uh, so that, that's important. I think we have to give back. So much has been given. I think, and I and I take so much from from the community. I take so much. It's I, you know I just feel like I should we I have responsibility to give back as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't keep it all. I mean, I guess no. you could, but I, you know. No. Once we start to uh, acquire and obtain certain things for ourselves and lives, it's, it's our duty as as young black men to turn around and give it back out to those who are next in line or to those who, you know, who seek who seek that knowledge and, and want to know, you know. And for me, sometimes it's just random people because I just you, if you see me, I just grab somebody and just talk to them, you know, if they're doing something wrong or 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 just in general, just having conversation. You know, it's a must that we. We speak to them and, and make sure that they do understand and that they, that they do get it because there aren't a lot of uh, brothers, uncles, and fathers out there to teach some of, some of the young black men out there. So it is our duty to kind of sit with them or talk to them in general when we can in passing or whatever it may be, just to make sure that we we, we, we do impart that type of knowledge on them. And that's that's a part of reparations as well. Where that could it could be targeted to certain programs, and, and certain people could be paid to set up these programs and do this because that that's a part of it as well. Mentorship, yeah, and bridging the gap. Because like you said, a lot of these young men, you got a bunch of young men who are 16 years old and who are trying to figure it out, and their and their cousin who's 18 is like, I, I tell you what to do. I'm older than you, but yeah. you're only 18, so you don't you don't you can't at that age. You can't necessarily anticipate all the things that are going to be coming at you at 35 and 30 and what, what kind of, and we all make mistakes and we should, we're human, but you, you know, you, you don't really, you can't really, you're 16 years old, you can't really look that far down the field. You don't have the experience um, or, or the maturity to, to do that. So we need to have programs that are specific and, and targeted uh, toward that. So, but, but I won't hold you, man. I know I got to, um, I got to get back. Before I yes, get sir. Back. I appreciate you just uh, allowing me to have the time that we did have, man. I appreciate this, that. This was therapy. Um, <laughs> seriously, like, I mean, this is like, I mean, from the sports to the life to the to the Chicago, all of it is just, it's therapeutic, man. I was hanging out with some guys, with some brothers um, uh, last night, man, having a having a cigar. It, it's, it's just so, for me, it's just therapeutic to be around and, and just, just have discussions um, like this and, and, and just talk about sports and current events and things like that. It's just therapeutic, man. And it's, um, I, you know, I, I would like to continue doing this and we definitely have to get, get to some games, so. Yes, sir, salute, salute. Right. I appreciate you giving me your time, man. I ain't gonna, like you said, I ain't gonna hold you no more. I'm gonna let you get back to the family and your studies. Um, again, appreciate it and I love you for it, my man. Hey, no doubt. I'll see you soon. Yes, sir, bro.